Hi, welcome to Comeback, the show from Vietnam. I am always your host, Connor, and I delve into a wide variety of topics, including expat life, entrepreneurship abroad, personal well-being, and much, much more. If you enjoy, you can rate on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Apple for written reviews, Spotify for just the stars. That would be enormously appreciated, and I will leave the reviews in the show notes. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Now, just a quick word from one of the sponsors of this show. As you probably know, I've been living in Saigon, Vietnam since July 2019. And one of the reasons why I've lived here so long is that I found a selection of places that give me a home away from home feeling. One of these places is Paperbacks Saigon, a bookstore with two lovely locations in District 3 and also online. They have genres from fiction to nonfiction, English books, graphic novels and more and they also do custom orders so if there's a book that you can't get your hands on they can help you out with that where you can find out more details are at paperbacks.saigon on instagram and www.paperbacks.vn i will include the links in the show notes and i highly recommend you check them out for all of your reading needs thank you and on with the rest of the show Welcome to Comeback. As usual, I'm your host, Connor, and I'm delighted today to welcome Maury, who is a physio and does all of his work throughout this conversation, including body, breathwork, therapy, and more. I'm very excited. How are you, Maury? Good evening. Yeah, nice to be here. Yeah. First time doing something like this. I don't First ever podcast? On the, yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, cool. Yeah. And we were just briefly discussing off-air. You've been in Vietnam six years. Six years in total, yeah. Six years. How have you found the overall experience? I know that's very broad. Love. Love. I hated that I love it so much. Oh, really? Or I love that I hate it so much. Yeah. It goes both ways. Just a weird paradox, yeah. yeah. And I guess in terms of your professional life, um, I described you as a physio and what's the other term? You Osteopath. Used? Osteopath, yeah. So um, a manual therapist for organs. Right, okay, cool. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm quite naive and unfamiliar about this, so mm -hmm. I'm more excited to delve into it with you throughout this conversation. Uh, can you talk to me a bit about your background then in terms of your education and how you initially got into this field? So... The initial initiation, I would say, is my birth. I was born with a birth defect. I had a hole between my hearts, and I needed heart surgery. I was born in Iran, right after Iran-Iraq war. And I couldn't get the surgery in our region, so we fled to Holland in the back of a truck and applied for asylum and heart surgery at three years old. And my life got saved by a healer, by a doctor at a very young age. So somehow I returned it. Uh, I owed it to the universe to return the favor. And that's what I did. I knew from a very long age that I, well, with Persian parents, they kind of expect you to become a doctor or a scientist or an sure. architect or whatever. And I stumbled upon physiotherapy. I did a lot of sports myself. I did American football, Muay Thai, karate, judo, a lot of CrossFit, many different sports. Injured myself many times. Right, okay. Been exposed to physiotherapy many times. So I started physiotherapy. Did that four years bachelor's. Then I did a two years master's in osteopathy in Germany in Munich. In German, and that is uh, osteopathy is manual therapy for organs. So mm -hmm. we're a specialist that with manual hands-on techniques treat visceral tissue, which is organs, intestines, kidney, liver, your um, lymphatic system, so the water works in your body, all your arteries and your veins, and anything associated with that, which can be immunology, nutrition, and more holistic-based therapy. Yeah. from the inside out from organs. Right, that's what I was interested when I looked at your bio on Mandela, mm -hmm. which was just to do with the holistic approach. 
Uh, can I ask you, as someone who isn't too familiar with this concept, how do you go about finding techniques to deal with the organs? How do you work, if that makes sense? In my case, I combined several techniques from the civil education that I did, because I did physiotherapy and osteopathy, and next to that, like $30,000 in all these individual courses around Thailand, Spain, all over the world, Singapore, doing courses in pain psychology, in nutrition, in, in, in a broad spectrum of things, but mainly nutrition, psychology, uh, vocabulary, choosing what kind of communication you do with the patients, explaining their issue to them, and laying the responsibility with the client of giving him options to do. But in terms of you answering your questions, people who come in yearly with me, I do an assessment. Mm -hmm. We check their story, their body, um, we check muscles, tendons, feelings of different intestines manually. 90% of the work is through communication though, asking about their habits, their lifestyles, their sleep, how much sleep are they getting, what are they eating, mm -hmm. where's the inflammation of their body coming from. Because at the end of the day, all the injuries or any problem in your body comes from inflammation, aka your organ system that cannot keep up with the taxations going on in your body. Right, I see. And, and for me, it's useless to treat issues to just rub and massage and do useless treatments on, on problems that will keep returning because of lifestyle. Right, I see. And how much of it, say in terms of the balance of, say, 50-50 or more, how much of it do you think is physical? How much is mental? 80% mental, 20% physical. Right. But okay. not for the guest. The patient just wants to be touched and heard. That's going to fix it. But that's not how I work. I usually put explain to the client where their responsibilities lies, what is expected, what kind of work they need to do to get that response from their body. Right, I see. Because apparently what they've been doing so far has not been helping them to get the results that they want, so they have to be doing something differently. Right, I see. And that starts with food, sleep, eat shit, sleep, rest, what you do in that time. Right, yeah. Not in a one hour in the gym. No, of course. And I know this might be tricky to answer and probably is different from each client, but what generally would you advise in terms of that holistic approach of what you should eat? Sleep first. Priority number one is sleep. Right, you sleep, yeah. you recover. Then nutrition, because that makes the happy hormones in your mind and in your brain. It's, that's your hormones uh, that make you happy. They don't get uh, combusted into or made out of thin air. They come from actual things that you eat and drink. And there's a nice poetic way of saying that we all have the same blueprints, but depending on our lifestyle and diet, it depends on the quality of the bricks you build your house with. We all have the same blueprint. We have the blueprint of two eyes, two ears, a head, the rest of our body. But then the bricks that you built that blueprint with is dependent on your lifestyle. Right, I see. And one of the general rules is every 90 days, most cells in your body have been replaced by new cells. And with the food and the nutrition you offered it in that 90 days, it's going to be the quality you built your house with. And if you have shit bricks, you're going to have a shit house. Very true. And related to that, say, food, nutrition, or sleep, are there any facts or statistics or misconceptions that might alarm us that we might not be aware of? Mm. In general, we all have a messed up relationship with food. Because food is like any other addiction we try to numb ourselves with from our daily struggles of trying to make a mortgage and paying a visible man in the sky, your fees, to be able to live on this earth, which can be quite stressful. 70% of the population cannot do one push-up or one sit-up, things like that. The general average human being is quite weak, and that is a choice versus the other end of the spectrum, which is pro-athletes, Olympic sports, highly functional individuals. Right. 
But in general, people underestimate sleep, rest, and all the other factors other than the quick fix, the pill, the medication, the surgery. Yeah. I feel like when we're talking about you know, how to get better and how to improve, we always talk about, say, diet or medication. But sleep is almost the one that people try to sacrifice. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned it's the number one priority. Can I ask you why it's the number one? Why it's so essential? Because you're recovering your sleep. There's not one moment during the day that you are recovering. Only when your body's in a safe state where it feels it is not in danger, which is usually in your bed. Yeah. In any animal in the animal kingdom, they need a safe haven to sleep because that's where you regenerate your cells. Your body's clock switches from your sympathetic to your parasympathetic system. Sympathetic is fight and flight. Parasympathetic is sleep and recover. In sleep and recovery, you use a totally different system of your body of the nutrients that you took that day are going to be constructed into the cells that your body needs. And that's where you gain the most right, okay. benefit. Yeah. Not in that one hour you're getting your back rubbed at a massage place during sure. the day. Yeah. And are there anything, is there anything related to sleep that perhaps we get wrong? For example, that the, you need eight hours a night or... Ideally, but it's not you need. Right. Every yeah. person functions differently. And with every individual client, there's a different set of parameters that decides their issue. Yes, and now I'm writing in, in, or I'm talking in theoretical forms. Some people, Hitler did really well on very little sleep, still conquered most of Europe. So yeah, he was quite highly effective on very little sleep. I know quite a few, I have a few really wealthy clients in the past. They only functioned on two or three hours at night. They became billionaires. Does that mean it's worth it? I don't know. Depends on what, what your goals in life are, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It can be quite easy to look at someone like, let's say, Donald Trump, who's famously bragged about yeah. not getting enough sleep and he's become president. But then, is it really worth, say, the day-to-day -day things we don't see? Like, obviously, if you don't sleep enough, you become more ratty with your peers, your colleagues, your friends, a whole list of other issues that we might be unaware of. It can be tricky. And it leads me to, I guess, a sleep routine. Like, for example, this again will probably differ. I don't do routine, I do sleep hygiene. That's the word I use. Right, okay. Why does that differ from routine, if I may ask you? Hygiene is um, ha habitual. Your hygiene tells you about how clean you are and aware you are of things. You will only clean things that you're aware that are bad for you or dirty. If you have no concept or notion of bacteria, you're not going to be cleaning the kitchen as often as someone who is aware of bacteria and viruses. Um, hygiene means small habitual changes you can do that are going to end up to the bigger picture. Hygiene is, is, is dependent on not only just one thing, small little bits you do to keep clean. That is not living as dirty or being able to clean up better. There's two ends of that spectrum. You can either clean up efficiently your body's system. There's a lot of drugs and resources that help us to do that. Or you can make sure you don't get enough, as much dirt on said subjects of sleeping. Right. You can dirty your sleep or you can keep it clean. Those are the two choices. Because it just happens every day. It doesn't matter if it's about the, the, the the general number throughout the week, four out of seven, if we can do that right, then things will go better. And when someone comes to see you for the first time, do you outline it in the small steps of what they need to do, as in really break it down? Mm -hmm. It is just really individual. People will come to me with a wide range from PMS issues, IBS intestinal issues, to psychological pain, um, traumas, afterbirth, pre and post natal. Physiotherapists are very wide in the range of things that they do. Mm. We do a lot of breath work, pre-operation, uh, post-operation of any kind of orthopedic surgery. 
people with lung cancer or COPD or any lung issues, we do the lung rehabilitation with them, the breath work for that. Um, and then any kind of office pains from the new smoking, which is sitting, people who get rounded shoulders, bad backs, back pain, neck pain, which is a majority of the issues of most working office people, it's back and neck pain. Right, I see. But for me, that also comes down to habits. For me, it's if a client cannot do 60 minutes a day of a healthy movement routine, which includes principles from yoga, pilates, strength and weightlifting, and some gymnastics, I'm usually not that inclined to bother to really start up the process. Right. Then I, I can recommend them to another therapist that will gladly rub them out for several sessions. But for me, it's really about a client wanting a change and being prepared to do one hour at least a day of research and work on it. Right. And you are able to tell, for example, during that consultation, who really wants the change and who you know won't quite make it. Usually in the first time, I'm getting better along the way. Sometimes I found out several sessions in, but... During that time, I just try to my, my, my best to treat the issue. Uh, it's usually also an assessment we look at disbalances. What is the body doing left side, right side? Is there any issues in the problems in the muscles? But that's the difference that two aspects of my two professions is physiotherapy and osteopathy. In physio, you just look at the problem itself, the symptom, the pain, the tension, where is that coming from? In osteopathy, we look at more why is your body in a state where it can have an inflammation or an irritation. And why don't we optimize that? And I like to combine those two aspects with each other. Right, I see. Yeah, this it does interest me, the holistic approach, because mm -hmm. I feel like often we can get mis mistaken and think that physical and mental health are completely different. Yeah, for me, that's all the same. Very interlinked, yeah. yeah. And if there was somebody coming to work with you, to see you, what should they expect? A long talk, a lot of talking, uh, a lot of questions. A lot of tests of moving around, seeing what your body's able to do right now, and also a lot of scrutiny on your lifestyle. And scrutiny in a good way, but yeah, in a realistic way of checking what are you doing right and what are you doing wrong. Because apparently you've been doing something wrong. I don't want to say wrong because your body always does right. Your body's always trying to save your ass. Um, our responses to that of the, the disbalance between load and loadability, ability to load a body or the, the load we put onto it, when the load exceeds the loadability, the body gets injured, damaged, pain, ill. Then there's other aspects, lifestyle, genetics, hereditary diseases that also come into play. Mm. But maybe that's my personal opinion. I believe more in mind over matter. Like I've seen enough cases where people, when they actually believe something, that happens. And a good placebo is not a bad medicine. When people believe something, it works. It's sad that the pharmaceutical industry uses that to to make mm. exorbitant amounts of money, but they can, and at the other end of the spectrum, there's also a lot of quackery in holistic medicine, because in the same way we have televangelists, we have people around, the whole world, the whole concept of snake oil exists in any culture, in any subculture in Asia, in Europe, in Iran, uh, to various degrees, and these days they've all gone online, and they use YouTube channels and podcasts to sell their products and items but at the end of the day it's about your day-to-day -day habits and lifestyle what's going to change your body at least that's my view on it okay and this leads me to something that i've explored with quite a few guests and it's the topic of say the believe it's pseudoscience so like manifestation mm -hmm. or attraction what's your take on that from believing in placebo but i personally believe there has to be more action inclined for a, a manifestation approach what's your belief on the whole 
manifestation concept, if I may ask you. I definitely believe in it. Right. To a certain extent, when you have cancer, you can believe all... And even in cancer, I believe cancer is a lesson for some people. That cancer teaches them a lesson and they miraculously heal from it. And some don't learn from their lesson and die of cancer. Now, that's a very interesting way of, of looking at it. I believe some cases can be like that. Other cases, it's just the world is cruel and nature sucks. and Some of us die a horrible death. And that is part of the lesson of maybe teaching others something. Yeah. So I believe there is cause for anything. But usually I've noticed in a lot of my clients, some illnesses are there to save them. And others, it's there for them to act as a, a learning moment for others. Uh, see, that's an interesting perspective. and one that I haven't really thought of before. And can I ask you about any perhaps examples that you can give of clients that you've seen put mind over matter and really heal as a result of their mental fortitude? Mm. Many cases, like I have clients who've lost 75 kgs in one year of training, went from 150 to 75 just because he wanted to change his life. He didn't like who he was on his way to death. And he turned into a vegan crossfit. I turned him into a monster. But yeah, he's living a very healthy, happy lifestyle now. And one lady with breast cancer, went to chemo. Uh, she was a very young breast cancer surgeon. She operated by the woman with breast cancer, got breast cancer herself. Her sisters died of it, her aunties died of it, her grandma died of it. And she went through chemo and she beat breast cancer together with me. And during in the middle of her chemo, she was deadlifting her own body weight with me at the clinic, which was really badass and really proud moment. So she did strength training throughout her whole chemo process. And at the height of her chemo, she was deadlifting her own body for the first time in her life, oh, wow. which was quite cool. Yeah. And she came out of the cancer very fit, with a lot of healthy lifestyles. Excellent. And others are just pain cases. People have been in pain their whole life, and then a small change in habits or some blockage in their body resolves a lot. Yeah. Is this in any way related to, say, therapy, in understanding the psychology of the client and why they are experiencing pain, perhaps related to trauma? Can yes. you relate to therapy? Yes. yes. Any, yeah, food is therapy for a lot of people, or a masking method of emotions, of trauma, of whatever. I used to be fat myself. I used to be a chef for 10 years. I was 130 kgs before I lost 30 kgs in a year to live a healthier life because I was about to graduate as a physiotherapist. And I was like, no one's going to listen to a fat physio. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to lose some weight. And I stopped gluten, sugar, and lactose for a year. And I've been the fittest ever since. Yeah. Not saying I don't eat those things anymore, but I abstained from it for a year and it did a lot of good for me. And when you abstained for a year, after that, did you look at it and think, I don't really exactly. need you? Yeah, simple as that. And I practice a lot of fasting. Fasting is also a fad that's been around. Um, that in a lot of religions, it's already uh, built in, fasting in Christian and Islam. Fasting can be something very beautiful if done in the right way. Um... I like living in Vietnam because with the full moon, there's a whole rhythm going on. People eat vegetarian for a full and a half moon. And for me, I do fasting sessions around full and a half moon. I try to not eat one day out of the week. In general, I do intermittent fasting like the window in the day where I eat. The rest of the time, I just drink water and work out. Okay. And with intermittent fasting, again, a topic that interests me, uh, what are the main benefits it's had for you personally, if I may ask? 
everything. It, it changes your whole system's ability to digest food. I don't believe we are designed to eat food three times a day, seven days a week. That's not. That's what a market, a strong uh, agenda of marketing and nutrition and education and media and programming has succeeded in. But only a few generations ago, my grandfather didn't have unlimited access to food like we do. My grandpa ate when the food came off the fields and ate with the seasons. And I do believe a majority of our, our current health issues are definitely related to food. And I believe if we all would just eat a little bit less, do a little bit more, we would be just fine. I was going to ask you, like, do, do we eat too much food as a species? Definitely. Yeah. Look at the Vietnamese, they, move more, they do more with less. I just came back from a motorcycle trip up north. I was there for five days at the Chinese border. Oh yeah, doing a dirt bike round, and I was real. I was surprised about how little they eat up there. There's a there isn't that much to eat. B I don't eat any processed food, so all the supermarkets that were there with all the processed stuff I didn't touch. I expected a lot more like local food places, but those people just work hard in the field, come home to some rice and some veggies, some meat sometimes and live quite a good life. Yeah, and I bet they don't yeah. have too much cancer up north when they're farming and in their fields. Something profound about the simplicity, right? Yeah. yeah. In Holland, one in six people gets intestinal or stomach cancer. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. We eat a lot of crap in Holland. <laughs> yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I wouldn't have expected that. And in terms of, I guess, sun exposure, does that ever play into um, your work in terms of like the environmental factors? can play a part in any conditions or is it purely based on say hereditary genetics or lifestyle? Environment for sure. Yeah. Like I've, my parents both come to my chest. I'm almost two meters tall. Uh, my parents are not. Um, I lived, I grew up in Holland. I have Persian genes or Persian genetics. But I lived in Dutch environment in cheese in a lot of veggies and on way different diets. So yeah, I've, I just look way different. You can see it in the younger generation Vietnamese. Older Vietnamese are very skinny, very small. And I worked my first two years in Vietnam. I worked at California Fitness, which is a gym chain here. Yeah. There's 27 gyms around the country. I would train the personal trainers all over Vietnam. And there I would see the difference of the generations, of the war generation of Vietnamese, who are very skinny, very wiry, versus the post-war babies. And they're all getting juiced up and super big in the gym. They're giants, absolutely yoked, built like brick houses and it's quite impressive to see that that mixture you can even see it in, in the traffic on the motorbikes where a skinny little parent is on a bike and there's this gigantic kid yeah. sitting on the back which is like triple the size of the parents and like five six years old yeah it's true and you also mentioned breath work which i'm fascinated about can yes. you explore that a bit more tell me a bit more about the actual breath work process well before Wim Hof turned it into a fad which is, yeah, he's a Dutch guy. Does did some great work. I love anyone who does Wim Hof Method. I don't like the way he turned it into a marketing stunt. I made a lot of money. And again, bless him to make his money. But he's using Pranayama Methods, which is just an ancient yoga breathing technique. Um, does it slightly differently. Does a little bit of team building events around it where you slap each other on the back and holler and hoot and do some chanting. But at the end of the day, it comes down to using different Pranayama, different breathing techniques of breathing into your nostrils, out to your mouth, or the other way around, using different timing, different strengths, and different uh, exertion techniques of breathing in and breathing out, and using all those different techniques 
into getting more oxygen into your blood. Because I would say in general, 90% of the people I see do not know how to breathe. And it is your breathing that decides your nervous system and how it's home. Because when you're breathing at night, you're breathing from your belly. That's your parasympathetic nervous system when you're sleeping and recovering. And when you're stressed, you're breathing from your chest or from up there. And our brain knows by that rhythm what it's primed to do. Right, okay. So, so the hacking on bra of breath work is actually based on reprogramming your nervous system and making it believe in what kind of nervous system it's functioning right now. I know this might be broad or tricky. How should we breathe? Like, what are we getting wrong? We should breathe out longer than that we breathe in. Okay. And we should breathe in bigger in the sense of your lungs when your diaphragm in your chest which is your breathing muscle is shaped like a parachute like a little jellyfish inside our ribcage and it contracts and expands 23,000 times a day every human being from the seconds they came to this earth it was before you cried you took in a deep breath before you could cry and the last thing you do when you leave this earth is to take that last breath out Anything between that first breath in and last breath out decides if you either optimize the system or if the system just gets by. Our monkey mind, our, autonom our autonomic nervous system, our automatic pilot will always make you breathe 23,000 times a day, give or take. Up to 33,000 times if you exercise. The amounts stay the same. The volume, how many inches, centimeters your diaphragm moves down or up inside your ribcage, that is conscious choice. By practicing that more, your automatic pilot or your subconscious mind will copy those bigger breaths and incorporate that into those 23,000 times. And let's say we call it, the principle is called junk air. If 30% of the bottom of your lungs is not used to fully breathe out, that means you can also not fully breathe in, times 23,000 times, that's quite a lot. If your lung uh, volume is 1 liters and 30% of that is 300 milliliters times 23,000 times in a day, that's quite a lot of liters of air you're missing out on that could have been an opportunity of presenting your body with oxygen. And also detoxification. Um, detoxification is again a very popular fad where people, when they hear that word, they think of girls in beautiful yoga pants holding a fruit juice and smiling to the camera. But if I think of detox, I think of a junkie lying on the ground shivering puking and shitting himself and going through a bad, bad time. Which is mostly actually what detoxification is. It is really getting rid of toxins. But how do you do that? Usually with fluids. A violent version of that would be puking or diarrhea. A micro version of it, um, I have to verbally explain what I'm doing right now. I'm taking my glasses off and I'm going to blow all my glasses. Now all my glasses, that is not magical pixie dust, that is fog, aka water. Mm. That was on one breath. If I would collect this fog on my glass together and get one droplet times 23,000 times a day, that's quite an, an actual amount of water. You're breathing in and out through every breath, but not visually seeing it, but it's there. The water is going in and out of your system outside of the world. Your body binds toxins to that water to breathe out. Why is yoga detoxifying? Not because the yoga itself is detoxifying, but you're taking deeper breaths. Thus, your body binds those toxins to oxygen to water and you breathe it out why exercising is very detoxifying through your sweat your body binds toxins and you sweat it out yeah i'm just trying to think of like days on end not being aware of this and letting those breaths accumulate and missing out of all that oxygen just because of the lack of knowledge mm. 
Yeah. I wonder where to go with it. How do you think we can raise more awareness for these kind of concepts that perhaps... Well, if you look at rituals and animalistic things, we already do that subconsciously. Chanting in tribal groups is automatically breath work. In military scene, uh, cadences, military songs, I don't know what I've been told, is breath work. You're training on your braving while you're running. Um, but in the tribal sense, that would be chanting and singing and arts and crafts. It is sad that we all not really exposing ourselves in that manner anymore. And that's only a few generations ago that we were all huddled around the fire and we would breathe all the air out and new air in while chanting. Yeah. And now we became... Well, we'll do it at soccer. Some people do it at soccer matches. Yeah. There's all little examples you can find where we still do it. In Vietnamese, it would be with karaoke. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in general, when you were in a more tribal environment, you would do a lot more chanting and conscious breathing. When you're trying to chase an animal, you would focus on your breath so you don't make too much sound, so your prey doesn't know where you're at, which is a form of breath work. I see. And one thing that's hit me here is when you mentioned the tribal aspect, because mm -hmm. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about the concept of loneliness and how that can be a lot more damaging, and that relates to the mental health aspect. How important do you think a tribe and community is in terms of your lifestyle with, say, the clients you see in actually improving themselves? Very much. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes your environment doesn't want you to succeed. I see a lot in couples where the husband or the wife, they're sick. When the husband is sick, the wife takes on a caring role for the husband. And then if the husband gets better, suddenly the wife will stop caring for him. So that's quite discomfortable. So he'd rather have the illness longer or get it more worse. Mm. Or even to the other shoulder or to the other hip. Because then the wife will always be there taking care of him. Sometimes people don't want to get better because then that situation is going to change. And they're not ready to admit to that yet. Yeah. In some people, their illness has become their identity. Why would it's very scary to let go of your identity? Absolutely, I'm thinking of this in relation to say childhood trauma, as in in the first few years when you're very impressionable, and these stick that might manifest in later life when adopting say victim mentalities or wanting to be ill because that's the only way you received attention when you were younger, for yes. example. So I feel like childhood neglect, trauma, abandonment can also play quite a yes. role there. Do you know the show called uh, Soft White Underbelly? I don't know. On YouTube? No. I think you'll appreciate it. Okay. You yeah. have to look it up. Right, okay. Yeah. He's uh, an interviewer who goes to uh, Skid Row in America. Okay. A place where all the homeless people are. Sure. And he takes the, the gutter of life, junkies, prostitutes, whatever, pimps. He finds them. He puts them in front of a camera. Uh, an open interview with five questions. How was your childhood? How's your relationship with your parents? What what are what do you regret in life and what would you do differently? And you just see all these walks of life spill their guts on this really cool YouTube show. Wow. He brings out an interview every single day. It's, yeah, he's he's meticulous at his work. Wow. Soft white underbelly. For me it's therapy. Belly. I just watch it. I watch the suffering yeah. of others to kind of not feel bad about myself. Because I see these people who've been through hell and back. Mm. and still have a positive outlook on life and I'm like my life is good like yeah. I'll be in the kitchen making a meal upset that I didn't get that order off of Shopee today and then I hear about this child prostitute who had to fight crack and whatever in her neighborhood to get through and still can be happy in life and I was like yeah my problems are not that bad concept of gratitude yeah, yeah. I learned a lot in Vietnam too definitely I just came back from Europe I was in Europe for 8 months oh, nice. last July and I just came back a month ago and yeah, I definitely miss the gratitude there, coming from Vietnam. Yeah. What, what exactly did you miss about the gratitude of Vietnam? 
everything just the people smiling the initial response of people looking at you and smiling yeah, yeah. I didn't have that in Germany but I was working in uh, a depressing side of Berlin for right okay months. yeah it's not quite that smiley demeanor can I ask you about the challenges aspect where we've spoken uh, I believe you alluded to say perhaps uh, injuries you got throughout playing sports or mm -hmm. perhaps losing 30 kg in a year yeah. so Obviously, neither of them can be easy. There could be other things. Uh, on the show, come back, we usually talk about challenges. So if I may ask you, Mari, what are some of the main challenges you faced in your career and how have you navigated them? Hmm. Challenges? Yeah. All life is a challenge. <laughs> it's all relative, right? It really depends on who you compare it with. Um, when I tell my story, everyone's always like, oh, that was very challenging. But then I look at other people around me, I was like, yeah, no. That was a cakewalk compared to what you're doing. Um, for me, it's the regular immigrant story coming to Holland. My, my mom's illiterate. My dad never had edu education. I started working from 13 years old in the F&B industry until I was 23. Paid for my own education. Always had a side job. Um, were those challenges? No, not really. Some people see those as challenges. I came out quite all right. Challenges? No, I only had... What I call I don't like challenge is the right word. I had a lot of quests that I happily fulfilled. Cool. And any, I guess, not regrets, but anything that you look back on, for example, any any low points or any, let's say, quote-unquote failures from your career that you've managed to learn from or any that stick out? Every single job I had. Every <laughs> single job I had, I got fired at. Um, I had a lot of different jobs, a lot of different things I've did in my life. Like the last eight months from July until a month ago, I was an arborist. Oh, what, sir? An arborist. Okay. We would climb trees with chainsaws and cut down trees. Oh, right. And I did that for the German government in Berlin and in Holland for the last five months, getting paid $1,500 a week to climb a chainsaw with a bunch of idiots and do a really dangerous job. But yeah, it paid well and I learned a new skill. So... Okay, I'm trying to get to say like what sort of things like drive you in your work. Like what is what are the reasons for doing the work that you do? For me, it's the gratitude of the clients, helping someone to help themselves and improving their families, their lives, their quality of lives, their love lives. Just overall, yeah, yeah, giving people their lives back. Old men who were missing sailing the boat because that's still the only thing they used to do with their wives. And then being able to sail the boat again because their arm is not hurting anymore, their back is not hurting anymore. And how grateful they are in that. And in general, just seeing people succeed, like having athletes who are now doing professional sports or people you help rehabilitate are now doing really well for themselves. Yeah, that's just very empowering, yeah. very satisfying. And the other side, nurturing. I like, I love FMB. I would like to go back into FMB. Eventually, I want to open up a restaurant again. But a small restaurant concept, but I will always stay a therapist and a trainer and I always keep doing that. I just believe you can do several things at the same time in your life. Yeah. Some people don't. Sure. Do you resist labels? For example, you can be both F&B and a trainer and a... Yes and no, to a certain extent. You should choose at least one thing, but I believe in different stages in life. Right, sure. When I get a little bit older, I would love to go back into the kitchen and do my thing. But right now my calling is this and I will pursue that. Are there any similarities you can bring from F&B into your work no. as a physio? None, none whatsoever? No. Well, some, of course. but yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's any links that perhaps you've managed to make over time because initially I don't think of any links, but then maybe you might have done from working in both. Stress management. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. And relating to people and relating to uh, 
commoner's job or menial job, I guess. Okay. If you want to put it that way. Yeah. That leads me nicely to the next question, which is about what you do to stay on top of your game in terms of stress management or anything else. How do you personally stay on top of your game so that you're performing well? I'm very, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. I only work three days a week. Um, I go to the sauna every week. I try to take ice baths several times a week or cold showers at least. I get my sleep in, my naps in throughout the day. But that's because I do not have that pressure of nine to five and becoming the next CEO or the next manager or the next promotion. I'm a freelancer. I work for myself. I earn really well for what I do. And I don't need that much in life. So yeah, I spend most of the time cooking for myself, doing yoga with friends, going to the gym with friends, swimming with friends. But these are, I'm very well aware, privileges that some of our busy bees do not have. Yeah. And what's struck me, I was about to use this phrase and then I backtracked. I was going to use the phrase like downtime or like cheat meals, etc. How do you, I guess, navigate that side of your life, you know, switching off or maybe like relaxing, shall we say? How do you manage that? Well, I pick out. I pick out enough. Right, yeah. But I tend to keep one day a week, two days a week where you can do that. Okay. And again, it's in cycles. It is really up to my moods. Sometimes I'm having a fight with my mom and my dad. I'll eat McDonald's, not McDonald's, but fast food for a week just because I want to feel like a fat pig. And then other months, I just eat months clean. And there should be a balance. But eventually, it's about the goal that you have if you're willing to work towards that goal. I already achieved my goals. My goal right now is to continue this comfortable lifestyle where I work a little, chill a lot, and do can spend my time on whatever I want it to be travel around the country, get on a motorbike. But some other people have other goals in their life yeah. and that has other prices on their health and their wellness. And I do not judge people who want to do that. There's some people who want, who want, who can have both actually. You can also have the wellness and the time and, and still work hard and get that promotion. But it depends on the work you're willing to do for it. All about the balance. And you have alluded to it there, almost maybe answered. I was about to ask you about what you'd like to achieve going forward, perhaps in the next couple of years. What would you like to achieve? Having a restaurant, but that's for an older goal. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, short-term goal would be to learn fluent Vietnamese and to learn Spanish. I speak five languages already. And this year I want to learn Spanish. Excellent. Yeah. And what languages am I asking? Persian, Dutch, German, English, a little bit of Vietnamese, a little bit of Japanese and Spanish this year. Awesome. Uh, can I actually ask you just before we wrap up, is there a question I've not asked you that you think I should have or you wanted me to? None that I wanted you to. <laughs> Let me think about that one quickly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe uh, is there a magic pill or what? You already I kind of asked it like, what is the best thing someone can do for their health? Mm. And for me, it would be educating yourself, reading and writing. Sorry, read, uh, reading and running. It's a quote from Will Smith. It's not that well into the news right now. Yeah, I was going to say. But he used to have a really nice quote on uh, Nickelodeon Awards. He had some Nickelodeon Awards, I think, and he was there. And he said, the secret to life is running and reading. Why running? When you're running, when you're physically challenging yourself, there's two voices on your shoulders. One saying to give up, quit, go to the McDonald's. And one that says, keep on going. If you run enough every day, you learn to listen to the one that says do not give up. So when you learn to beat your physical challenges you put on yourself, you learn to listen to the voice that tells you that you can keep going. The other one is reading. Uh, Why reading? Because there's not one single problem you can have in your life that billions and billions of people and generations and societies and lifetimes have gone through and not wrote a book about it. 
So why go to the problem yourself when you can just read the book about someone who already had that problem and wrote a book about it? And what's one book that really stands out to you as a personal favorite? <laughs> physiology books? Uh, yeah. But they're, they're very boring. That, okay. would, that wouldn't be anatomy books and physiology books, but that interests me. That, for me, that's very interesting. Like pathology books, anatomy books, and physiology books. Understanding right, what your body's doing and how and why. That is not accessible for all of us. I do understand that. Um, other books, is not. there's not just one book. Keep reading. You should be keep reading every every freaking week. You should read a new book, bring in new information, challenge old information. And not the quick fix, 9 to 5, I'll make you a millionaire if you subscribe books, but just simple books. Because at the end of the day, it's all regurgitated information. No one reinvents the wheel. Everyone just does an older technique with their own branding on it and coins it. But at the end of the day, it comes about acquiring knowledge of doing things better and more efficiently. Right, excellent. Have you any final messages, Mario, before we wrap up? No, thank you for your time. Yeah, I've really enjoyed nice it. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing all of this. Uh, I'll certainly be taking a lot away, and I'm sure the listeners will too. Thank you very much. I really thank appreciate you. it.